Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I'm on a mission to teach people how to transform their romantic relationships by transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you're in a relationship, you're single, or you're heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breaths, and minds. I have now coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Vienna Farron to the show. Vienna is a licensed marriage and family therapist and one of New York City's most sought-after relationship therapists. She has practiced therapy for more than 15 years and is the founder of the group practice Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. Farron has been featured in The Economist, Vice, and Motherly and has led workshops for Peloton and Netflix, among others. Vienna is the creator of Mindful MFT on Instagram, where she's helping over 700,000 people around the world heal their wounds. And we have a really fantastic conversation and one that I am certain you are going to get a lot out of about the nuance and complexity of marriage and just long-term relationship. We talk a little bit about her marriage and how they have approached their own individual wounds and how they are present for each other. And we talk about sort of the million dollar question, which is how do you know when it's time to end your relationship? It's one of the most complex questions because it's so hard to answer that, but we talk about it. And so I think that this is going to be a really helpful and illuminating conversation for you. So here we go. Hi, Vienna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jillian. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to like finally actually meet you. I've been following you on social media for years, actually. So it's Mm -hmm. a real pleasure to have you here and to talk all things love and relationship. (laughs) The juicy topic that is. It's like love, sex, and money and death. These are the things. Yeah. That people talk about. These are the topics. These are the hot topics. No matter where you are in the world, no matter what it is that you're doing, right? These topics always come up. When did you become a couples therapist? Questions. So I went right after undergrad. So I started my graduate program when I was 21. And I always say that people get into the field of therapy, whether they know it or not, to resolve that which is unresolved in their own lives. I think much of the time we probably don't realize it. At the time, that was true for me. My undergraduate was in psychology. 
yeah, I felt kind of compelled to either go in the direction of marriage therapy, couples therapy, or sports psychology. And Mm. I wound up finding a program at Northwestern that really aligned with me in marriage and family therapy and decided to go that route. And I enter in, you know, like first day of school and you're getting to know people and you're like, yeah, my parents got divorced. They went through a nine-year divorce process when it started when I was in first grade. But like, I'm so good. (laughs) I'm so good. I promise I'm good. Like they're best friends now, like not affected by it at all. Are they best friends? Your parents are best friends? You know, their relationship really transformed over the course of a couple of decades. Um, I wouldn't say that they are best friends, but I would say that they are very good friends and they are still in each other's lives. And we do every holiday together. You know, we were around each other a decent amount. And yeah, there was a big arc there. I can say more about their trajectory and kind of what happened. But yeah, you know, I started off really having to hold on to this story that I had been unaffected for a long time. And that was very self-protective because it meant that if I was unaffected, I didn't need to feel, right? And I had created really convenient strategies around me to just kind of move through life without needing to deeply connect to what was there, right? To what had happened, to what I had seen and witnessed, what I had experienced. And yeah, it was a really well-protected sort of like outer shell around me. And you know, even through grad school for a period of time, I really held on to the story, you know, that I was good and that we'd kind of made it out the other end. And I could point to those things that we would do holidays together and they would come to my lacrosse games together and my, you know, orchestra concerts together, right? It it was like, oh, we're here. So everything that came before is something that I can scrap now. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until you know, my continued work as a therapist really and, you know, seeing it in people in front of me, but also just continuing to be in my own life where the guy eventually saw that all of these unwanted patterns that were showing up in my life and were showing up in my clients' lives over and over and over again, kept pointing to the irresolution of the past. And for me, you know, obviously things happen outside of our family of origins, uh, Often, but it is very compelling in my work to look at the family systems we grew up in to understand, you know, the foundation, the framework that's been created there through experience and observation, and to just understand how that has affected and maintained and kept irresolution in our lives. Because when we're kiddos, you know, you just you survive your way through it. You know, you're not five years old and like, let me sit down and grieve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no. we are finding a way through. We're surviving a way through. We are finding the adaptive ways through. And then we get to the other side of it and we're like, okay, here are all my gifts, right? And I wouldn't be who I am without what happened. And it's like, true. And that's what I like to look at, right? And that's what I had to look at for my own life. And it was also, I mean, therapists know this, that we can only sort of lead people as far as we've really gone ourselves, 
right? It's like there's there's a block, there's a limitation. I remember early on in my career as a therapist, right, being like, oh, I'm like rubbing up against the spot. Like, I don't really know what to do now. I don't know how to have this conversation with you or challenge you differently, right? And so that was just such a huge part of the catalyst for me that kind of brought me further into this work that was already very important to me. God, it's so cool and amazing how clients can be our greatest teachers. Yeah. Isn't it? It's pretty amazing. They're a mirror. This episode is brought to you by Modern Fertility. Did you know that one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? That is a pretty big statistic. And that's a big statistic that most people aren't aware of or aren't really ready to talk about. But we need good data and information about our bodies in order to have the informed conversations with our doctors so that we can make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. This is how we become an advocate for ourselves. We're supposed to go to the OBGYN once a year for our annual checkups, but checking in with fertility isn't usually a thing until we're ready for kids and we want to have kids. And then we discover we're struggling to get pregnant. Knowledge is power. And once you know more, you can make better decisions for your body, for your health, and for your future. There aren't many decisions much bigger than having a child. But for many women, their fertility can be a very big question mark. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels like your ovarian reserve and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for next steps. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but modern fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash Jillian, you can get $20 off your test. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Jillian. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Jillian. modernfertility.com slash Jillian. One thing that came to my mind was that I think it's very common for those of us who didn't have like large T trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up, it's easy for us to tell ourselves, I'm, you said, I'm good. I'm fine. I mean, I remember going to therapy when I was a teenager and I'm fine. Like, there's no reason to talk about anything. Like, I wasn't, thank God, molested. You know, I wasn't physically abused. You know, I went to private school. There are people who are grew up in horrific conditions. And so why are we talking about me? It was kind mm-hmm. of like my attitude. It's a big shift, paradigm shift that I'm seeing where people are acknowledging that 
even if they didn't have horrible things happen to them as children, that's still what their experience was as a child shapes who you are today in many ways. And a family is a very complex organism in many ways. It's like, it's a corporation and it has hierarchy and it has triangulations and it has coalitions. Mm -hmm. And when there's more than one child in the household, each child I think is having their own unique childhood, even though they share the same parents in the same environment which is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I would imagine there's just millions of people walking around sort of suppressing the stuff and then they get into a relationship. It's interesting. I think people's relationship with money and career can be very triggering and very revealing and friendships, but I think a romantic relationship is where our stuff is revealed the most. It's like literally where we cannot hide. And I think it's a little bit of a mind fuck, honestly, that when you get into a relationship and you're the person who thinks, well, you know, whatever, maybe dad was a little bit messed up or mom was a little bit messed up, but all in all, like, you know, no one hit me and no one molested me. And I always had a hot meal on the table every night for dinner. Why the hell am I a mess in this relationship. I mean, for you, obviously, it was going through the process of becoming a therapist and trying to help your clients. I think that when people, like a romantic relationships, and it's not every romantic relationship, but it's most of them, or at least there's one that really, you know, can bring us to our knees where we finally have to acknowledge, oh my God, like what the hell happened to me? Mm. Or what did I experience? What did I perceive? Like what went down? So there's (laughs) that. And a question that I have for you, and I I know I'm, I'm coming at you with you with just like a lot, but I mean, that was just more just a what came to mind. But a question that I have for you that I've been contemplating lately, and I was very excited to ask your input on, is as far as compatibility is concerned between two people who are considering or in a romantic relationship, I think compatibility is a rather complex subject. I think mm-hmm. there's the compatibility of what you both like to do on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday, how you like to spend it, compatibility in terms of you know, how you travel together. But there's also a complexity to compatibility that has to do with trauma. Mm-hmm. And so do you believe that given the fact that everyone comes to the table with family of origins, And so therefore everyone has their stuff. Do you believe that there are people who their trauma slash baggage pasts just don't match? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a complex one. Yeah. It's a complex question. I think probably more of the time it's that we don't know what to do with the complexity of our story. Mm. Right. And it's so common, right? That like, yeah, in the way that you're describing how two people travel together or what activities they like to do with one another. We also know that, you know, we are drawn to people who either are going to recreate or sort of oppose the things that we perceived as either good or bad growing up, right? 
And so what I find oftentimes in relationships, in romantic relationships, is that I talk about the five wounds, the origin wounds in my book, worthiness, belonging, prioritization, safety, and trust. So we often find and match with people who are going to rub up against these wounds, right? These unresolved wounds that are there. And so sort of the compatibility of our wounds kind of bouncing up against one another, right? Is like, oh, I'm going to find partner with someone where I am going to feel deprioritized by them, right? If that's something that's unresolved in my life, right? From my history. And I'm looking to see if I can become important enough to this person, right? Through this relationship. So awareness, willingness, self-awareness, relational awareness, curiosity, right? These things are so important because like you said, we all have family of origins. We all have stuff. And what you were saying before about, I call it wound comparison, where it's like, oh, my story is not as bad as so-and-so's or like, here are all the things that can happen in the world and I had it pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a right to have pain. Those are things that distract us from being able to connect deeply with our story, to honor what is there. I don't care where you are on the spectrum of not so great to awful, right? I care that you're able to acknowledge it and name it and be with it and touch it and respect it, right? So that you can work with it. And so for everybody who finds a way to dismiss or minimize or invalidate or just compare their pain to others, you're doing a real disservice to yourself, right? Because that's the fastest way to stay distracted and stuck. It does not allow you to move towards where you need to go, which is a deep honoring of what happened and what you experienced. That's going to allow for an opening to take place. When it comes to the compatibility, like you said, when you were asking that question, it's like, I think most of us just don't have the tools to know how to move through that together. People's pain becomes bigger, right? It like blocks and gets in the way, their reactivity. I think most of the people out there don't want to harm others, right? They don't want to be disconnected, right? I think most people want to have connection and intimacy and closeness. There's a tremendous amount of constraints that get in the way of that, that block that. And to me, that's because we don't know how to be with it. We haven't been taught that. We haven't learned that. We don't know how to move through that sticky, tough stuff together. And when I think about the relationship, I know you had my husband on the show I think that's come out already. Yes, Connor Beaton. When Connor and I were first dating, it was before we got engaged. And I remember we were in a we were in a conflict. I have no idea what the conflict was about, but I remember I remember myself vividly. And I <laughs> we was, never forget. We never forget. You're like, oh Especially my gosh. Women. Yeah, here it is. And I remember that I couldn't stop proving my point. I just kept going and going and going. I was like doubling down, tripling down. I was like, yeah, I'm going for it, you know? And he's sitting there and he's really calm. And he's like, I understand. I get it. I understand what you're saying. He's like validating whatever it is that we were talking about. And I couldn't stop. I like have this out of body moment. I'm like zooming in, looking in on myself. I'm like, Vienna, stop talking. Like enough, like you got to cut it. I couldn't stop. I just kept going. Eventually I came out of it like shame 
and guilt and embarrassment, all of it comes over me. And I'm like, and again, I said, this was before we were engaged, married. And I'm like, oh, like that was really not good. And I remember having the fear or concern that like, maybe he's not going to want to be with me because that behavior was like, not great. Yeah. That moment where you're like, I may have just, you know, <laughs> reached serious bad yeah. relationship territory. Like this yeah. might end. Yeah. This might end. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, and Instead of staying in my shameful place, I got really curious about, okay, why did I need to prove my point? Like, why did I need to be right? And that inquiry, and I understand I'm a therapist, so like I understand that that is like right there for me. I'm used mm-hmm. to doing that, but this is our training, right? This is what we want everyone to do, right? Get Absolutely. curious, right? What kept me from stopping, right? What was so motivating about continuing to prove my point? And in the inquiry, right, I come right up against, oh yeah, I am a daughter of a father who was an expert gaslighter, like the true... Like the true. Not yeah. like, oh, I don't remember it that way. Not <sighs> not that. Like, yeah. oh, my experience is different than your... No, no. Mm. I watched him really kind of like destroy truth for my mom. And what I saw play out there oh, was so intense. And what I associated with it is that it was crazy making quite literally and feeling and being, you know, and I don't use that word loosely, but when you are experiencing and seeing gaslighting, that is exactly what it is, right? I I no longer have connection to self, right? I have lost it. And so to see that, I was like, ooh, that's bad. I can't go there. And so being right is where you have control. It's where you have power. It is where your safety is. So I was connecting to, oh, being right means you are quite literally safe. Being wrong means you're not safe. You're in danger. And that was something that had come along with me for a long time. Even though the gaslighting wasn't directed at me as a kid, it was something that I witnessed and observed all the time. And that to see like sort of like how its tentacles kind of get in you where it's like, ooh, here I am fast forward decades later in relationship with a partner who's listening to me, not arguing with me, not rejecting anything that I'm saying, but here I am needing to be right because rightness equals safety. And so I share that story because I think when I remember bringing that up to Connor. I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Oh, he was so graceful in that time. I remember him just like holding it. I could feel his steadiness even when I was proving my point. Like he wasn't- Hence you married him. Hence I married him. And there was such grace in his reception of what I was saying too. I was like, oh, I explored this and here's what I came to understand. I don't want to behave that way. And I also know that I'm not in a relationship where I am unsafe with you, right? And so there's Mm -hmm. this update to the operating system that takes some time, right? It wasn't like click in and I never try to prove my point ever again, but it was such an important awareness for me to have and vice versa, right? There's been plenty of times where the roles have been reversed, where Connor's doing a thing that's a little unbecoming of him. And, you know, I'm holding that space with a curiosity, understanding that guess what? Your behavior makes sense with context. I'm a big believer that context is not an excuse maker, but it is something that helps make things make sense. And when we can take that curious approach, right, then we have an opportunity to move through something together. I know I'm kind of going, 
around no, in a big is, circle. This is, this is excellent. But, yeah, but this is where it's like, okay, the compatibility. Because if you've been together with someone, I'm not talking about like I've gone on a date or two dates, right? Like when we're actually in a commitment of some sort, we're together for a bit of time. Like there's something there. Right. Something mm-hmm. has drawn us to one another. We're looking to not just go on those fun adventures, right? We're also looking to resolve something together. That is a part of every relationship. All these other compatibilities that we talk about, the adventures, the trips, how we like our home, how we don't like our home, you know, and sometimes Food. we're a little more compatible and yeah. less compatible in different areas, but there's always something that draws us together where our work is to resolve something that's unresolved. And that's the beauty, right? Is like, if we can see it that way, then I think a lot of, not all, right? Because I I think there are, we, we know you can check the box, irreconcilable differences. That happens. That does actually happen, right? Is that like, we actually can't change this, mm-hmm. Right? Not, we don't want to, we don't know how, we can't, right? There's a yeah. real block in this chapter of life that makes it impossible for us to move through this. So I want to name that, but I think that there are many, many more opportunities where the curiosity and the right tools are going to allow us to move through to resolution with one another. That's so well said, and I couldn't agree with you more. This episode is brought to you by Miracle Made. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? In fact, last night I woke up in the middle of the night because I was just too hot. So if you wake up in the middle of the night too hot or even too cold, I do highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. First of all, they're inspired by NASA and Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so that you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. That is like the dream. It is really so important. In fact, a lot of people who struggle to stay asleep, often what they're struggling with is temperature regulation. And also, did you know that traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? Which by the way, when I found that out, I was so grossed out. It can lead to acne, allergies, and stuffy noses. And like, again, it's so gross. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times times less laundry. Also, they are so luxuriously comfortable and really high quality. Miracle sheets are comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. So go to trymiracle.com slash Jillian to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo Jillian at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jillian and use the code Jillian to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jillian to treat yourself. Your husband, Connor's ability to be graceful mm-hmm. when you were whatever, acting out of character, not having your best moment, having a traumatized Mm -hmm. moment, however you want to call it. There's a few 
variables that are included in that. One is your relationship had foundation mm-hmm. to begin with. He probably, I'm assuming, I'm making this assumption as if I'm, I'm certain of the fact, really, that he felt loved by you and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that there was respect and trust in your relationship already so that you having that moment and then he does his own inner work and you having that moment, he's able to tap into just a calm state and not be persuaded and seduced by your emotional state. And he didn't Mm -hmm. join you there. Mm -hmm. But if you doing that reminded him of mom Mm-hmm. that's where things go south very, yeah. very quickly yeah. for two people in a relationship. And I could not agree with you more that it really is about working things out and seeing if you can work things out together. It's an interesting thing though as well, which is that who you choose to partner with really matters too, mm-hmm. you know? And I will say that the relationships that I have had that have been the most peaceful are the ones that were not something where I needed to work something big out. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that there weren't times that I wasn't triggered or things came up, but we weren't two people trying to work out our deepest, deepest childhood wounds. And so I think that for listeners, it's important for people to know that giving your partner grace when they're going through something like that, that's a lot easier when there's a foundation of trust and mm-hmm. respect and oh, love sure. there. For sure. And there are plenty of times when we are both activated simultaneously. That's the hardest. That's the hardest. When one person can stay regulated and grounded and sort of like hold gracefully like, ooh, something's happening. You know, it's like we have access to that in, in moments like, oh, you're having a moment of like, okay, <laughs> I'm here for the ride for, we'll, we'll see for how long, but I'm here for the ride. Hey, from um, here, exactly, exactly. Right. And when yeah. I say how long, I just mean like before I'm like, I'm going to exit now. Yeah. Like we're, yes. you know, I, I don't mean relationally, but yeah. Right. Like when we're both activated simultaneously, ooh, it is hard. Now what I'll say is knowing on some level each other's stories and having a deep understanding of like what it was like growing up and what our stuff is, right, is still actually quite helpful in the moments of activation, even if we can't stop, even if we're like keep going after it. We still somewhere are holding the knowledge that there is trust here, there is safety here, there is respect here. I know that something is happening. And even though we don't have access to doing this calmly, we will have access to that at some point, right? Mm. And so we try our best to stop it. Like whoever can get to the point of stop first, (laughs) you know, it's like we do that. But yeah, that part, it can be so hard and so tricky. It's interesting, the piece about the, the peacefulness. I'm curious about that because I think there's like this level of peacefulness that can exist when you're not bumping up against those spots, right? I don't know what you would say about this, but I would argue that eventually, right, in a long-term relationship, you're going to bump up against something. And I think there's this like rough path 
patch that happens, but that there's also a peacefulness or a peace that happens on the other side of moving through that gnarly, tricky, bumpy stuff and getting to that place of of resolution, right? And I think I want to hold space for the relationships where like the peace is that, wow, we just get on and this is amazing and we're not rubbing up against and also hold space for the, whoa, we are bumping up against some stuff because this is familiar and I know it well. And then we are finding a way to move through this and get to that peace on the other side of that. Because I think both of those things can exist. I agree a hundred percent. And the relationships that I'm referring to, it's not that there was no friction. There was definitely Mm -hmm. friction. It just, it wasn't filled with a lot of suffering. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's really like the difference. It's like, that's well said. Yeah. Suffering, you know, it's Mm -hmm. instead of discomfort, instead of frustration, Mm -hmm. instead of going through a rough patch, like the deep, deep, deep suffering, which I don't think a relationship should have. Yeah. That's a really good differentiator, right? Because I think there's something that even in the hardship, because there is hardship in relationship, right? That even in the hardship, you are moving towards something that you know is actually expansive and healing. In our hardest of moments, it is not suffering. Exactly. Even though those hard moments are fucking hard sometimes, right? And so I like that what you're saying is so potent and so important for a listener to hear because I think sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, if it's hard or if there's discomfort or if there's struggle or if there's questioning, then this isn't it. No, but the suffering, right? The harm, right? Like those are the things that I think, oh, they just strip away they our really relationships do. and make it so hard to see a path forward. But the hardship that you can, st- you like kind of hold on to the vision mm-hmm. still and know something beautiful is actually happening through you in this moment. Even if you don't know what it is, right? But it's like, I trust that there will be information here that is deeply healing or evolving. So I appreciate that distinction. Absolutely. And it's hard. It's the, I think foundation is so important. I've come to recognize that the relationships that I've had in the past that did include some level of suffering or just, you know, immaturity, didn't have foundation. Mm -hmm. They went really fast. And, you know, (laughs) if you don't have the foundation of safety and trust, it's very hard to go through a rough patch and not have that rough patch become the thing that defines your relationship moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so having that baseline of stability makes it so that, you know, you can kind of go through that rough patch. I mean, it's, it's also just, it's foundation and it's commitment. It's like, how committed are you to someone? And then of course, you know, we run, it, it gets sticky if you're someone who commits to someone who's just awful for you, right? That's a whole other conversation. This episode is brought to you by Daily Harvest. There are some days where my mornings are very chaotic. I have a lot to do. And sometimes I get stressed out figuring out like what I'm going to eat and just making time to make sure that I eat something nutritious. Daily Harvest keeps my stomach and my freezer full with options like fruit and veggie pack smoothies, forager bowls, and for some people, lattes. I mean, that's actually kind of amazing. They also have tons of options for any time of day, like flatbread soups and harvest bowls. Um, Some of my favorite has been the pesto flatbread, 
I also really love the apple and cinnamon forageable, delicious. With Daily Harvest, I get so many easy to prep options and they're really, really easy to prep, by the way. So I don't even have to think about what to cook for my next meal. And I love that I can skip the shopping, chopping and post cooking cleanup. It's just a lot. By the way, by working directly with farmers, Daily Harvest secures the best ingredients and freezes them at peak ripeness to lock in that always in season taste and just picked nutrition. I was particularly impressed by this. What you see is what you eat. So when it comes to better choices, Daily Harvest does make it easy. And they support farmers who invest in proving the biodiversity and health of our soil. Even their recyclable and compostable packaging made me feel like I'm making a positive impact on our environment. So I have to say it's pretty great. To take the stress out of your mornings with Daily Harvest, go to dailyharvest.com slash J-O-L to get up to $65 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash J-O-L for up to $65 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash J-O-L. There's something that you wrote in your book the origins of you. And I've seen something like this also in your Instagram account, which I love. And it reads, to stay connected to you, I must leave and abandon me. Or to stay true to myself, I must choose to disconnect from you. Hmm. I mean, if that doesn't describe one of the most common and painful conundrums of being in a relationship. I don't know what does. And I also think that there must be a lot of delusional story embedded in that line of thinking. Mm. And I I would Mm -hmm. love to just riff on that a little bit and what what inspired Mm -hmm. you to write that, what you were thinking of and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even listening to the words back, it's like... mm. Major. Yeah. There it is, right? It's major, right? So many of us, and, and I'm speaking from understanding the template of did I need to disconnect from self as a kiddo to have attachment with you, adult, right? To have love from you, to have presence from you, to have validation from you, right? We, Dr. Gabramate talks about like trading authenticity for attachment and yeah, when we're tiny little humans in this world, you know, we know those are our two lifelines, attachment and authenticity, right? But when attachment is threatened, we will trade our authenticity for it. We must, right? The lens that I see it is that we will unconsciously violate our own values in order to maintain Mm -hmm. connection, Mm. Yes, because we're taught that connection to other is superior to self. To connection to self. We're not taught that connection to self is the mm-hmm. end all be all. It is. I know, it certainly is. But it doesn't have to be at the expense of a relationship. It doesn't. But it's what so many of us learn, right? That's what so many of us learn. So we can have both, right? That's the beauty, right? That's the hope is that we can have beautiful, fulfilling relationships with others while also having this beautiful, fulfilling relationship with self. But so many kiddos 
grow up in systems where we have to be a little less this and a little more that, right? I have to get perfect scores or I have to score the hat trick or I have to be the funny one or I have to do this, right? That is what makes dad happy. Or if I'm funny, then it means that mom stops being critical of my sister. Or if I bring home the A's, right? It's like all of these things that we learn, right? The conditions of- Identity. Our worth. Yeah. Our belonging, all of it. And so, of course, we then become adults who continue to do the same thing. We hold this belief system, right, that in order to have connection, closeness, intimacy, attachment, love, validation, presence from someone that I am vying for it from, I need to be who they want me to be so that I have access to that. God, it's so complicated because it's like, okay, so we're both in the field where we help others, right? And that could be something that gives us a lot of significance. It meets a lot of our needs to be able to help others. And it's part of our identity. But then you bring that into a relationship. And it's like learning how to bring that compassion to a relationship, but without it becoming a pattern where you're finding people to love who you need to fix. For example, it can get Mm. tricky. Mm-hmm. One thing that I will see that, that I have seen a lot of is people recognizing that they have lost themselves in a relationship. And whereas sometimes the answer to recovering your sense of self is to exit that relationship, sometimes the answer is to recover yourself mm-hmm. while you're in the relationship. So for anyone who's listening who feels like they're, they've lost themselves in the relationship, but this is a relationship that they feel very strongly about maintaining, what would you say to that person? Yeah. I mean, again, there's a lot of layers to it and there's complexity to it, right? Because it's like, but we can answer it. But, you know, it's like we have to hold each person's full story. We also have to hold the other person's full story, right? Whenever I work with couples and families and individuals, whenever it's individuals, I'm always holding other people in that space too. You must, right? Because otherwise it's just this narrow lens and it's just their perspective and that's it, right? And so this idea that, ooh, I'm realizing I've lost myself. So easy to do. Okay. I maybe have an understanding of why I've lost myself, where that came from, where the invitation to Mm -hmm. lose oneself originated, right? And you're like, oh yeah, let me trail it back to my family of origin or these past relationships or the ways that I needed to trade authenticity for all of these things. I don't want to do that anymore, but I love this person or we have a family together or I'm at a point in my life where I'm not interested in anything, whatever the story might be. I'd like to restore myself while staying connected to you. Oh, what you just read, the sentence from the book. Ah, there is that option too. I would like to reconnect with self self while also staying connected to you. But that's a big conversation because when something in the system, and when I say system, I mean you and me, right? Partnership, family, whatever. When something in the system starts to shift, I'd like to restore self. Okay, little shift starts to happen. A little rumble starts to take place. The other people in the system feel it, right? The system starts to shake. And so as the system starts to shake, other people in the system are like, hanging on, what's happening? 
arms on the chair, rumble is being felt. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Who are you? What's happening? Am I threatened now? Right? Like what's going on? It always has to be a systemic approach, right? As we start to move something, because becoming oneself can look like a lot of things, right? And especially people who are trying it on for the first time, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Or, you know, like it could sometimes swing in these really big ways. And then the other person is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm still your partner. I still want to be here. Um, You know, Ideally, our scenario is that we have someone who says, I want yourself to come forward, right? Now, here's the problem. And this is where the split will take place, right? To become oneself means I need to exit versus to become oneself means that I can still be connected to you. The other person needs to have space for capital S self to come forward, right? That that self is not something that is threatening to them, Right. Right. Where they're like, oh, no, no, no. You choosing things for yourself or you, you know, living in your authenticity is too much for me. I can't handle it. We get very threatened by our partner's change. We either, people are either complaining that their partner's not growing, but most of the time, you know, people are very threatened by there being a change. Absolutely. So again, we sort of the systemic approach in this conversation to say, hey, like, here's what I know about my story and why I've disconnected from me for so long. I want to reconnect to myself. And I'd really like to stay connected to you too. In what ways have you benefited from me being disconnected from myself? Can we start there? Maybe, right? Can we maybe have that conversation? What scares you about me becoming more connected to self, right? And that could look like me saying no to something that I don't really want to do or me doing something that I really want to do, but say no to because I want to please you or I don't want to leave you with the kids for you know that weekend. And I know that that might be stressful for you or whatever the story might be, right? So what happens if I start yeah. to do that? How might you experience that? What might activate in you? And beginning to have those conversations. That's why I say it's like, it's a complicated question with a path forward, but one that's going to take a bit more conversation and awareness than maybe what we like. Because again, the shift is complete without letting anybody know what's going on. 100%. Is an earthquake. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an earthquake. And so we sort of need this buy in from the group where the group understands. Oh, this yes. is good. This is beneficial for all of us, right? And that's the path where, okay, now we can actually be connected, stay together, find a path forward. But when the earthquake happens and the other person is like, no, I can't, I don't want to be with you if you're going to be connected to self. That's not good for me. Ugh. It's also an earthquake when someone thinks, in order for me to restore myself, I can't be in a relationship with you. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave the right. kids. And the marriage is going to fall apart. And the family is going to fall apart because I don't know how to relate to you mm-hmm. other than being who I've been this whole time, which does yeah. not feel like authentic to me. And I think mm-hmm. that that's definitely a layered thing. I think at the end of the day, It's better to help people change and stay connected as long as the connection is a healthy connection Mm -hmm. and not something that is filled with suffering, (laughs) as we said. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the conundrum of I need you versus I need me, 
Mm-hmm. Autonomy versus dependence. Let me say something actually though to the last point because I think part of why it can be hard, this is an attachment injury issue that you're talking about. The belief that we we can't go through a hard thing together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm is huge, right? Because this idea like, ooh, something's shifting in me. I'm becoming aware of something. I've lost myself. I want to reclaim myself. I want to reconnect to that. But I don't know how to do that while being in relationship with other. And Mm -hmm. that to me is a little asterisk that says, oh, hmm, what keeps you from trusting and knowing and believing, knowing here, here, right? In the experience. Yeah, mind, body, soul. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm a little confused right now. Okay. Some shit is stirred up inside of me. I don't know where it's going to spit me out, but I'm going to, I need to get away from this in order to figure it out. I have to go solo, right? As opposed to I can move through a hard thing with someone else here. Now, I'm not suggesting that there is never an appropriate time to go do the solo thing. I think that there are plenty of times where that is an appropriate thing, but it's a very important story to check, to just ask, am I fleeing? Am I getting the hell out of here? Or do I have a belief or an absence of the experience that I can go through hard things with people there? With people there. Yeah, that's a big one. It's a big one. one. So I just want to say, that. And again, hear me when I say it doesn't mean that it's never an appropriate time to go do a solo thing and, you know, be in your own existential, (laughs) you know, questioning of all the things. I Mm -hmm. think many of us need that at some point in life. Um, But I think there's something so important to ask the question, am I exiting because I don't believe that I can go through a hard thing with someone else because I've never been taught that? Mm. So, so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is almost where I feel like we can start to wrap things up because I I think that that's major. And my heart aches for the couples, and because I think this is very common, where one person is thinking they need to go on the solo mission and the other person saying, you know, please stay and don't go on this solo Mm -hmm. mission. And so I think that your advice, your message is so important to those who feel like they have lost themselves. And it's not because you've lost yourselves because you're in an unhealthy relationship, but it's old stuff. Mm -hmm. It's old stuff. And that if you don't believe that you can change, you really have to ask yourself, like, what is that really all about? God, being in a relationship demands so much self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It really does demand if we want to take our relationships to the next level, a tremendous amount of self inquiry, self inventory, yeah. communication. And I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here for it. I think that, you know, this is what really is the needle mover. Is there anything else that you would like to share today? I could go two hours, no joke, yeah. on this particular subject of autonomy and losing oneself and finding oneself in a relationship and the beliefs that correspond with that easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we could talk for a very long time and there's lots of things that I could say. I mean, I do believe that it is true that sometimes our healing is in the staying and sometimes our healing is in the leaving. Yeah. And man, that's what makes relationships hard. How do we know the difference? And that's the hardest thing. I know. I think 
you know, as it pertains to my book, you know, I think it's so important to understand what wounds are being activated when it comes to this decision. We've sort of like found ourselves in this conversation of like how people can decide to heal together or to to heal on their own. And there isn't an answer to that. Unfortunately, you can't look it up yeah. on page, you know, 72. It is a deep self-inquiry and relational inquiry and to understand like really what is at play in this space is so, so, so important. You know, some of us have a tendency to exit quickly. Some of us have a tendency to overstay, right? It's like we know we sort of move in one direction a little bit more than the other. And it doesn't mean that the answer is to do the opposite of that. Sorry, that there's no shortcut there either, right? This is about a deep inquiry of what is playing out in this moment in time with this person. And when I say moment in time, like the trajectory of, you know, the relationship, but also specifically what chapter you are in right now. And, oh, what an important decision to make. Not one that should be made recklessly, right? One that does require a tremendous amount of inquiry, but I know that people often want the how-to. How do I decide? How do I know? And go inwards more and more and more and more and more. I generally tell people to try not to make a decision until there is clarity. Right? Yeah, it has to come from a from a grounded place for sure. And yeah. I think that one thing that I like to encourage people, and this is, you know, if there's a long-term relationship and there's a lot at stake. This is not the same thing as making a decision of, mm-hmm. you know, whether to stay or go if you've been seeing someone for 6 months. That I think that's a little bit of a different ball game. But we can easily get very fixated on what am I getting versus not getting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important to include in that inquiry and into that, you know, self-reflection. How have I been showing up as a partner? Mm -hmm. What are some of the stories that I have about this relationship that perhaps needs to be challenged or Mm -hmm. looked at more carefully? Yeah. You know, when people are hurt, sometimes it's hard to think beyond the hurt. Yeah. And hurt can really keep us stuck. And this is why it's so important to speak to someone. If you are thinking of contemplating leaving an important relationship, it's important, I think, to talk to someone about that, Mm -hmm. you know, unless it's really clear for you. I think a lot of times we think we've had the conversations or we think we've said the things or, you know, we feel like we've reflected on our own contribution and we really haven't as much as Mm -hmm. we think we have. Yeah. And there's oftentimes different that can be done. I don't want to say more. It could be more for some people, but there's often different that can be done in this place, right? Because if you just keep banging your head, doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? And you're like, nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. Change often doesn't happen because we're looking in the wrong places or we're asking the wrong questions or we're not exploring the right stuff, you know? And it's not to say that you just do that and boom, you'll be so happy. But Mm-mm. I think answers do become revealed. 
And most of the time, we are finding ways to block ourselves from the answers. And so most of the inquiry is how do I begin to unblock myself from what is there? Right? Mm. We're not having to create what is already there. We're having to allow ourselves to meet it. And yes. so again, a tremendous practice. And yeah, it's it's funny that we got onto this topic. I know we were like, we'll just jam and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't even know this. I have a, a course called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Mm-hmm. That's coming out very That's soon. I don't, we'll see when this launches. You didn't even know this. And yeah, it's a course for women who are considering divorce. And it's a very fair, like it's there's no push in any direction. It is about each person coming to their own decision and finding that clarity for the path forward. So it's funny Ooh, that I we arrived here. I can't wait for here. this to come out. This is going to yeah. be so helpful for because this is people agonize over this decision. Agonize. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. so much to it. There's so much There's to it. There's so much to it. Yeah. Where can people find you, Vanna? Of course, your book, everyone must get this book, The Origins of You. You yeah. can find that, I'm sure, it's Amazon. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, yes. Everywhere, wherever your preferred bookseller. And we'll link it out in the show notes. That book is a, such an important one. You're like, who is that book for? I'm like, anyone who's ever had a family. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hence everyone. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at mindfulmft as in marriage family therapy. And yeah, we'll send the link for the course. Hopefully it lines up and we'll have a window there. We'll line it up for that. Yeah, great. All the stuff that I have going on is in the link in my bio, easy to find. So wonderful. Thank you for having me and for this beautiful conversation. Oh, we'll have to do this again. I think this is very, very helpful. And I think it's going to really stimulate a lot of thought. And so I really thank you for coming and, and having this conversation with me. Happy to be here. That's it for this week's episode of Jillian on Love. Thank you so much for listening and would love to hear from you about this episode or any other episode at hello at jillianonlove.com. And if there was anything that you got out of this episode today that you think could help someone, please do not hesitate to click the share button because you just, you never know whose life you could be really positively impacting just by sharing this podcast. So thanks again for listening and until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Shin Yin Hu. Editing and music by Will Tendy. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. 
Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.